KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. You know, I got into coaching because to me, it was the next best thing to play in basketball. I never thought it would be an actual opportunity for me to have a career that would hopefully I'll continue until I have to retire one day. I'll be able to do this and really enjoy what I do. And they always say, you know, it's not a job when you have a passion, when you around the people you, you love and when you love what you do. And our guest this week, Amy Mallon, the head women's basketball coach at Drexel University, getting ready to begin her first season as the head coach after 16 years as the assistant. And uh, first of all, thanks for taking the time. Uh, thank you for having me, Matt. So we're doing this over Zoom for obvious reasons as the pandemic continues. You just got the job a couple few months ago. What has life been like for you as you have adjusted to the world of the head coach and also dealt with not being able to go on campus and do stuff in person? Well, it certainly has been a memorable start to my first head coaching job. And it's been a little bit of a whirlwind, lots of different things um, that you don't expect to have to be dealing with in your first year. Um, So things are different. And I think we realize it's not really the norm right now, but we're trying to keep it as normal as we can um, day to day with whether it be a team meeting through Zoom, um, you know, work talking about different things that we can do to stay connected. You know, I think the the part that's a little different is just, you know, we usually would have this time right now to be working with our incoming freshmen. They would be on campus and you get that like initial like five weeks with them before they take off in the summer and come back. So that part I'm missing. But as far as the connection, I feel like we're continuing to just find different ways through Zoom, through community service, just to stay together and, and, and keep the culture of Drexel women's basketball um, where it's been and where we see it going. There's obviously a lot going on in the world. I mean, the pandemic, protests fights for racial justice, stuff like that. What kind of conversations are you having with the kids? Are, are you finding having conversations that maybe you wouldn't be having in normal calendar where you are on the calendar and stuff like that? Yes. I think we're having definitely more dialogues um, regarding the protesting, the racism you know, in our country. And I think if anything, it's heightened that with the pandemic going on. It's, but it's also, you know, it's given us a chance to really take the time to do it. And I think it's a really important thing that we're talking about and that we're having these dialogues because, you know, it really does come down to everybody listening to each other, you know, so we can learn something and and make a difference in what's happening. And I feel like this, you know, really this situation has heightened a lot of things. And that's one thing I think that's so important that we can work on and, and continue the dialogue so we can impact and make a difference. And, and, and I think we have a platform to do that in women's basketball. So um, I feel good about what we're able to do along that lines right now. So let's talk about your career. You grew up in Maryland, correct? Yes. What is your earliest basketball memory? My earliest basketball memory is I started playing basketball because my older sister was playing and I, I convinced my mom to let me play too on the same team. So um, going to the gym and actually um, thinking, Oh, I kind of like this. And then my sister stopped playing and I continued playing. So that was like my first. Um, and I don't, I just, you know, I was always competitive. So I just know it was something I wanted to try everything. So if it was a sport, I, I tried it. Yeah. That's going to be my next question. Was basketball always the focus or were the, what other sports were big parts of your life growing up? The first sport I ever played was softball, first organized sport, I should say. And I played all through my, um, you know, 
grade school, middle school, high school. I played on club teams. So softball was like my, you know, first sport. And then basketball, I started playing and I played volleyball as well. So those are like my three sports that I played throughout my high school career. And in fifth grade, I went to camp at my high school. And I I remember my high school coach, um, I remember him from the camp, you know, saying that I could be pretty good. And I was like, you know, you don't, you don't think anything and you just kind of shrug and move on to your next thing. But um, then my freshman year, I made the varsity team and, and played right away. And, and then he said the same thing to me. He was always really honest, which I loved about my coach, uh, Dave Greenberg. He was like, you know, if you're not lazy, you could be a pretty good basketball player and you might earn a scholarship to college. And, you know, he was always straightforward with me. I was like, I'm not lazy, but you know, you at the time realized, yeah, I was probably lazier than I thought, but that's, um, you know, I always say that I'm just lucky. I had some coaches that were honest with me from the beginning. Cause I think it, it made me work to, um, you know, earn that next level, you know, be able to go to the next level and play in college, which was my dream. Um, once they kind of said that and put it in my mind, I'm like, oh, I can do this. So I'm going to try it. Was there a point, and you meant you talk about they say you've got this potential. Was there a point in your high school career when you really started to feel like college was getting, the potential of college was getting real? Like, do you remember that first time that a coach really showed interest in you from the college level and, and stuff like that? I do. You know, my luckily for me, my high school had lots of young student athletes that went on to play in college. So college coaches were already before I started playing there came to games because we had a really strong program, you know, one of the best in the state. And I think that so my freshman year, I got letters, you know, I started getting those recruiting letters from colleges and I kind of got, you know, excited. I'm like, oh, so I am pretty good. But they had seen me play because they were looking at other players on my team. And then um, I think really going into my sophomore year. Uh, we won the States that year. We won the States my sophomore, junior, senior year. So we had a really good team. But I think at that point, I realized this is going to be my path because at that time I played, you know, I went to play, I played three varsity sports. I played three different instruments. I was in the marching band, the orchestra, the jazz band. So I kind of like did it all. And I think at some point you realize you have to kind of narrow it down a little bit, but um, I still want to do it all for as long as I could. I know that much. Um, I tried at least. What was the did you have a passion for music or was it something you kind of enjoyed and you got involved and, you know, you, you're part of this band and then they recruit you into the other bands or, or did you think music was a path possibly? I actually thought music would be a path because my um, band instructor, my freshman year in high school said, you know, he, he, he's like, you know, you could get a scholarship for music if you're really interested. Cause I had played all through middle school and then um, made all state band, you know, I played, played the, um, the euphonium and the symphonic band. And I played the cello and the orchestra and I really liked the jazz. I played the trombone and the jazz band. And I played the valve trombone and the marching band. So I kind of had like same similar type instruments. So I did have a passion. I mean, I started playing piano in first grade. So that was my first like instrument. Um, but I really, that's why I think people would laugh at me when they're like, what music, you, could, you know, if you're music or sports, it's like one or the other in some ways, but I'm like, no, I love it. And my grandmother, the day I told her I was, not going to play my um, cello anymore. I think she was so sad and so disappointed because she loved coming to the concerts. She was so proud of me anyway, I think as a grandmother, but I remember her being so sad when I kind of said I was going to give up the music because I think I had a chance to get a scholarship for basketball. In a lot of high schools, those like the music track and the athletic track are separate as far Mm -hmm. as the kids are concerned. Like it's a different group. I mean, if your school's small enough, there can't right. help you overlap, but was that tough 
in junior high, high school to, to navigate those different groups? Because I know a lot of times, especially at that young age, one group doesn't get the other. It was. We had a lot of um, crossover with our athletes and I think music, you know, I think we were, so we were a little bit of a smaller high school. So I went to Mount Hebron high school. So our class wasn't extremely big. So there was crossover, but you definitely by like there, you could see the separation by like sophomore, junior, you saw a little more separation with that just because you spend a lot of time with that group. So, um, but I always felt like one of the things I loved about doing so many different things is you just met so many different people and you had like, I just felt like I, um, I guess I was one of those people that liked having different groups to hang out with. You know, I didn't always want to be with, with the athletes. Like I loved, like I liked being with the band people. And then I liked being with the yearbook club people. So I was on the yearbook. Just, I liked the different people I met. Um, Cause I, I think it just makes you well-rounded and more diverse than just your thinking and the people that surround you. You're learning how to navigate different groups of people. How much do you look back and think that that has helped you in coaching because you learn how to adapt, you learn, you know, you're not just down one lane. And I would imagine when you're recruiting and you maybe come across kids, eclectic backgrounds, interesting different things, you've always probably been able to relate a little more than maybe other coaches that were have always just been basketball, 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 or athletics, athletics, athletics. I definitely think it's helped me. Like I look back on it and it is because they might say, oh, I play, you know, the saxophone. And I'm like, oh, it's like – it's an initial conversation for me because I can relate to having a passion for something other than maybe just that sport, like just basketball. And I think, um, you know, I definitely look back on it now and realize I'm so happy that, you know, I think it's harder now for young players or student athletes to be able to do a lot more than just their sport. You know, it's so, it's hard You know how they individualize things now. It's really hard because I think that's one of the things that you feel like you have to just do the one thing. And I, I actually like when I hear, some of the kids who are recruiting say they play other sports or they play an instrument if they can, you know, and I encourage it when, when they can, I always say, Hey, I, I, I like that. I like that piece. Cause I feel like you're going to be more able to adjust when you get to college to the different things thrown at you. If you're not just so set on one thing. So I do, I do like that. And I think it does help me. So college basketball, you start at the university of Richmond and you're a star there. Was it always going to be Richmond to start your college career? Were there other places? What other places were in the mix? And did you ever make a different decision? Almost make a different decision. It's interesting because my um, my other schools I really looked at, and probably the, the last two, it was Richmond and Villanova were my final two. And Villanova, Harry Preta, who everybody knows Harry in the basketball world, but, you know, he, he recruited me and actually one of my teammates um, to Villanova. And my teammate went to Villanova. So, um it was hard because I really liked Harry, but my coach, Stephanie Gately, who also played for Harry, you know, there was a connection there, was starting a program down at Richmond that um, I just think right from the beginning, uh, she saw a lot in me. What I think my high school coaches saw that my defense, my rebounding, my heart for playing the game because I was an undersized post player, which was, you know, once I got to college, it was it's it was a hard position for people to really see. But um I think from the very beginning, because she really was just kind of said that. And, and, and she was starting a program off that had just had their first winning season. So I think I was excited about doing something and making an impact um, on a program. And, you know, and I, I loved Coach Gately right from the beginning, you know, related when I think I also started seeing myself going into coaching. So it was something that as a role model piece, um, I really felt like it was the place for me. But it was tough because Harry, I liked a lot, too, because Harry had a different um, way of just – 
making you feel that you'd just be able to have a normal conversation with him. And um, he was always upfront and truthful about what he thought uh, my role would be in his program too. Were you confident? Cause you had a ton of success at Richmond. Were you confident going right in that you were going to be a very good college basketball player? Was there doubt early or did you hit the ground running? There was doubt early. Cause I, I got there and I didn't play initially a lot of minutes. And I always tell the story cause I suspect, I speak a lot at basketball camps and I've been doing that since I finished playing in college before, you know, I started coaching and I played professionally. I would go and speak at camps on the summer. And I'd always talk about my freshman year being the big year for me because um, I think you go in and you kind of lose your confidence when you don't play right away. And you're like, well, I'm working hard, you know, I'm doing this. And I'll never forget going into coach Gately's office. And, and she said, well, she goes, well, you're here, you know, she's, she's, but you're not here every day mentally like physically you show up but mentally you're not like you're not focused on what's going on what you're trying to get better at and because I, I remember thinking right in December I got my you know I, I went into her and I was like I gotta find out what I can do to play and and she said she goes you need to show up early you need to stay out later you need to work on things you need, you need to be focused every day on what we're doing um and I think it really like clicked and then by my January my freshman year I was playing like 20 minutes a game which I think was a lot for a freshman coming off the bench and I thought this is it I'm going to, I'm going to work. I'm really going to work and I'm going to do whatever coach tells me to do. And that was the big turn for my freshman to sophomore year. Cause I went from not making an all rookie team to making second team all CA my sophomore year, you know, and us winning a title. And I think that was a big, that was like the push probably that year pretty much. It was the best thing ever that I didn't play my freshman year right away. I think that I truly always say that's why I became the player I did because I had to work. It just didn't happen. And it made me work even harder. And that's kind of the story, you know, it's for me as a coach, I can now share it and use it when I'm talking to my players about that. You know, everyone's experience is different. The other freshman that came in with me, she started right away, but um, long-term, you know, my career, I guess, as far as not that individual accolades really matter, but I improved, I think the most over my four-year period. So I just see that as um, when I look back on my career, such a turning point for me. You mentioned undersized post player, scout yourself as a player. What did you do well? What made you stand apart? Um, I think what made me stand apart, you mean my high school or like college? Play? Overall, as a just as Overall, a player. I think my rebounding, you know, like I think that was like my rebounding and defense was something that just was never, it happened. I never took it for granted. It's something I knew I did really well. And I felt like, you know, that's one thing I'm going to do every game. And I think the rebounding so my senior year, I averaged a double-double, and I think that was just, like, for me, like, so cool because I was like, you know what? I can prove – I might not make shots every day, but I'm going to rebound the ball. I'm going to get that done. And I think for my size and, um, you know, college-wise, I mean, I wasn't that big, but to, to be able to do that, I thought that was a pretty, like, big accomplishment um, as a player. So it's just the heart and just doing whatever it took to win a game. That's kind of my thing. I think I didn't need to score – I need to score – 20 points that might happen if I need to get 10 rebounds. I was going to do, you know, if I needed to pass the ball and get this, I just did whatever, whatever you need to do to win a game. So you spend most of your career at Richmond. You end up at St. Joe's for your senior year. Now we see a lot of the graduate transfers now where players will play their final season, but you know, this was a little unusual to have the level of success you had. And then you, you go, was this following Coach Gately to St. Joe's? It was. And, you know, at the time, you know, I think if that happened now, I don't think anybody would really blink 
about it because I think people do it all the time, not only for as grad transfers, but they do it because a coach leaves. And now, you know, even if you commit to school now, they change the rule, you know, you can change your, um, your verbal. So I think that change and, and they always say, you know, go to the school for the university and everything it has to offer. And I do think that's really important, but I also think there's just such a big piece when you have someone that, um, and, and I wanted to get into coaching. I think that was a big piece of it. I was a health and sports science major. I was intending on staying on and being a grad assistant and getting my master's. And that was kind of like my goal. So I think in it, um, it was a tough decision because to leave a team that had so much success and teammates um, at the time to just take on a new challenge in some ways, I looked at it because I'd hear, I remember coach always talking about Philadelphia basketball and I'm kind of like, I want to be part of that. You know, like you hear about it, you go up and play Penn, you know, Richmond, we went up and played in their tournament and you walk around the big, you know, the Palestra and you see the big five and you've heard about it all this time, you know, I'm from Maryland. So I think there was an excitement about the thought of being able to, being able to do that. Also that enticed me, you know, understanding I want to get into coaching. Um, and I did follow coach Gately up there and, you know, sat out a year, which I think just made me even better as a player. Cause I got to see so much. And I think that um, ultimately that was why I thought I'll, I'll go up there. I'll be start my master's. I'll be a grad assistant and then, you know, start my career coaching. And that, that was my, mindset moving forward and you know I want to win I want to go somewhere else and win you know like that's kind of um but it was a tough decision because you spend a lot of time in one place and I'm ultimately thankful for Richmond and the opportunity I had there as well because I, I I really enjoyed the teammates and had um you know we had a lot of success there and it was it was a, a fun to be part of that how tough was sitting out the year because I think it's one thing when you're when you're transferring and a lot of times kids transfer because it just didn't work out at the, the first school, be it playing time, be it whatever. You're not in that case. You were, you know, a, an all-conference player. You're at your, the peak of your game. You're going somewhere with a coach you love playing for, and you have to sit out a year. I mean, everything's on the table. None of it's a surprise, but it's one thing. The intellectual exercise is one thing the 20, 21 year old kid going through it is another, how tough was it? It was tough. You know, I think it, you know, at the time you, you're not used to sitting out, you know, when you've been playing so much, but then I tried to just like um, convince myself it's a, another year for me to get better. You know, even going to be a better player when I'm done, I'm going to be able to watch the game and actually see. And, and then obviously understand the teammates I'd be playing with, get a chance to see them and get to know them um, in that process. So it was, it, I thought it was tough, you know, but there was another player that transferred with me from Richmond. So it made it easier. The two of us kind of like, you know, together, we're on the same, um, the same boat with that. So we, we, we did that, that probably helped the process a little bit. So I definitely think, um, but it was hard sitting out and being competitive. That's a hard thing to think about when you're that age. And, um, but I felt like it definitely paid off as far as my, my growth and my development. So when you think of your college career as a whole, if I ask you what are a couple of the memories that come flooding back when you think to your collegiate playing career, what would be at the top of that list? It's always the championships. You know, it's like you, you, you know, our Richmond team was recognized this year, our 1990 team for the first CA championship the school had won in women's basketball. And when 30 years later, we're all back together. It's just so fun to talk about that year. You know, you talk about, you get the same group together 
and you're honored and you don't realize at the time how special it was what you were doing, you know, because it's what you do. Like I was going to win. We're going to find a way to win. And um, definitely those championship teams and you win in the big five championship at St. Joe's, you know, you you just kind of look back on that and you're like, that's, that's a big thing, you know? And I I think um, that probably be the number one thing and just every year winning over 20 games, you know, in your career, you know, you look back at it now, even as a coach, you're like, it's not really that easy to do, but um, at the time you don't think anything of it either. So I think that's probably the, the number one thing, the championships. And it's time to take a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Drexel University women's basketball coach, Amy Mallon, right after this. Hey, everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers, and changemakers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week, Drexel University women's basketball coach, Amy Mallon. So you mentioned that you knew you wanted to coach, but you played a little pro basketball. Was that something... As you're playing your college career, did you think that was an option or was it something as your college days are winding down, people start, you start to talk to people and you start to think, Hey, maybe I can push this a little further. It's definitely, like you said, winding down, um, people start talking about it. I'm like, I never thought about playing overseas or having that option. And, and then Steve mix, you know, he was my agent when I went over to Europe. So he approached me and said to me, you know, I'd like to represent you if you're interested in playing in Europe. And, um, it kind of just worked out, you know, I ended up going and I was in Luxembourg for a year and I thought, well, this is pretty cool. I get paid to play basketball. I never thought this was going to happen. And, you know, and then you come back and you start hearing about the women's leagues that might open and, you know, now I'm I'm not older, but you're at a point where, all right, these leagues are going to open. So I stayed for a year and, um, finished my, I had like two classes left to finish my master's after a year in Luxembourg. And I kept hearing about these leagues opening. So, I was like, I'm just going to keep training. And um, I waited a year and I was coaching at Rosemont. I was, I was helping out at Rosemont College and I was just, I had some odd jobs. I was like waitressing, moving furniture. I had like three jobs, you know, training. And I'd heard about, again, this this league opening. And then Harry Preda calls me and says, I have a third assistant position open. And at that time, that was the first their first time they'd have that position. You know, so it was restricted earnings position is what it was called. And so he hired me, which I thought was really funny. The, the, the first person that pretty, pretty much had recruited me now is hiring me as one of his players. But he always, he'd always laugh about it because he said, you're one of my biggest mistakes because he, he recruited me, but not as highly as my teammate. He kind of gave me the story like, hey, you can come here, but I don't know if you're going to play right away. I just want to let you know. And I was like, what? You know, it was one of those things where I had to like process it when I was that age. But he'd always laugh and be like, then you came back and kicked our butts near, near the year we played. So we always like kind of laugh, but always admired Harry and really appreciated him giving me my first coaching opportunity. Cause then I coached for two years. I coached with Harry for a year and then Steph and then the ABL opened up and I got drafted. So I kind of went backwards. I coached and then the league opened up. And when I was 28, I got drafted to play with the, the Philadelphia rage, you know, that was with Dawn Staley and um, that crew. So it's kind of interesting. My, my road, because I, played professionally and came back, decided to start coaching. And then this league opens up. So then I get paid to play basketball again. And it was pretty cool to play in the States and be 
here. Um, so it's, it's funny how that, that road for me was a little different, my path to coaching and, and the, the professional career. And that was the Philadelphia Rage. That was the American Basketball League, correct? The ABL? Yes. What was, I want to ask you about Luxembourg, but as long as we're on, what was that experience like? I mean, you got to play with Dawn Staley, which is pretty cool. But overall, yeah. what was the, what was it like? Just the whole experience. I think that, you know, the hype of a, a league opening where the women could get paid in the States to play was pretty cool. And the cool part about it is the women of the league, the athletes ran it, you know, they were on the board. So each team had someone who's, who went to the meetings to have it for the operations of the league. And, you know, it's tough because obviously the league didn't make it and it, it formed the same year as the WNBA. So it's a pretty neat story because you had a lot of really, I think some of the best players, um, in the States were playing in the ABL because they were paying more at the time. Um, you know, it was during the regular season, but I think the marketing strategy of the WNBA was really made more sense. It was smaller, you know, smaller time frame. You didn't have as many sports to compete against. So I think, um, you know, the, the, the chance to play basketball and get paid to do it. And then I signed on as a Nike athlete. It was kind of like a dream come true for me. You know, I was like, this is amazing. I love it. It's like, um, and to play with Dawn Staley, who, you know, who I just think, at the time I thought was an amazing player. Like, you know, I played with Dawn, I played pickup with her. So we played pickup at St. Joe's. So that's where we used to play with like Dawn and Steve Nix and Dr. J. Like people were always like, we had games going and um, to get a chance to play with her, you know, and then you, you, you see where she is now. And I love it. Cause it's like, you know, she, she hasn't changed, you know, she's changed maybe what, she, where she is and what she's doing, but her as a person and how she is and just her, her all around presence and leadership is hasn't changed and i always feel like again i had a great opportunity to to play with her and learn from her and um you know i truly admire her and i love that you know we always give each other a hard time because you know i see her out recruiting and we send text messages here and there but it will just be like okay big timer and i said you're still you know we will we'll kid but we'll say something like i'll call her um something and she'll be like big timer uh, big five hall of fame, but she's like in every other hall of fame. I said, well, I'm sure you're going to be in there if you're not already, you know, it's like, we always look laugh about it. Cause it's like, that's probably the only one thing that I would have over her right now, but she's, it's pretty cool. Like I said, to get to play with someone like that, who you, you see down the line is, is going to be in every, you know, women's basketball hall of fame that is out there. Um, it's pretty neat. Well, so what's the Luxembourg experience like, and aside from basketball, just life as a kid from Maryland, you know, seems like your entire life in the Northeast United States and you go over to Luxembourg. Was it culture shock or was it a pretty easy transition? It was culture shock. It was definitely one of the toughest things, I think, for me in the sense that um, I always try to explain, especially when our athletes are interested in going overseas, it's where you sound old. Like when I went, we had no internet, you know, so you had no phones. You pretty much were on your own. So you pretty much went from college where you have every minute of the day scheduled and training and like, and then you go to another country where, I mean, fortunate for me, everyone spoke English. It was one of their languages, but um, you're on your own. You don't have a phone in your apartment for like a month. Cause it takes you like a, a, a month to get a phone line. So your only really way to communicate with people back home is through writing letters. So it was definitely a learning experience for me where you, you really had time to think about what you wanted to do, you know, and like what you were doing. And um, I, I met so many great people and again, down the line, it helped me in my coaching career because we've, we've been very um, successful at Drexel with our international players. And it pretty much started with my, pretty much the relationships I made 
overseas that continued. And uh, I still have, I've, I'm still friends with the people I played with and coaches um, I played for over there that said, Hey, I have a daughter who plays. And that kind of starts the whole like um, cycle. So I always say it was a, it was definitely one of the hardest things I'd say I ever did because it really was on your own. Like you were away from everybody um, and you had to figure a lot of stuff out. It's interesting. Like a lot of times when I do these interviews, as you're talking to people and as you're researching people, you're, you see the building blocks of how they got to where they are. And, you know, I, I see that with you. And then another thing I wanted to mention, you did some time, you assistant at Rosemont Villanova, St. Joe's, and you also coached an AD at Episcopal Academy. What did the experience, not so much coaching, but as an athletic director, what was that like? And what did you learn having to run a whole show like that? So I was the assistant athletic director. So um, Gina Buggy, who was the director of athletics um, for the whole school. So I helped. So I was um, the middle school athletic director. So it was interesting because, again, it's back to what you just said. It's the managing of people, of, of working with parents and young younger student athletes, but also having to, you know, I taught as well. So I taught health grade science um, so yeah, I, I seventh grade science and health in the middle school. So I pretty much did everything. So it was, I had that administrative piece with trying to organize everything. It definitely gave me, it allowed me to actually realize what your administrators do. You know, like when I look back, when I'm, when I'm working with my administrator now, so Dr. Zilmer and, and Nick Gannon, who are obviously such great supporters of our program, I'm definitely more aware of what it takes for what they're doing. It's not, they have a lot of people that they're directing and trying to keep, you know, in order and scheduled and on place. And I, I definitely can appreciate what they do more and I'm more aware. I, I hope in what I'm, when I'm asking and I need things that I understand that there's 18 other coaches asking for the same thing, you know? So I just try, I think I'm more aware of that. And I think it's also something that's helped, helped me working with, you know, whether it's talking to the, the people I'm managing now talking to my student athletes, but it's definitely helped me down the line. I'm again, another opportunity to look back at and realize this, this was my path because I learned, you know, I was there. I thought I'd only be there for a year or two. And then six years later, you know, and then Denise calls me, you're ready to get back into college coaching. I'm like, all right, let's go. You know, I kind of like, and then I think 16 years later, I'm like, wow, I keep forgetting. Like we were together for 16 years working there. Cause you, it kind of flew by in a way. And now that I look back, it feels like it flew by. So you mentioned, working with Denise and you guys had a ton of success at Drexel and then she just took the Villanova job. You become head coach. So what was working with Denise like? I mean, that is a long time. There are prob there are very few, I think, you know, head coach, associate head coach combos that are together that long, have that level of success. Why did you guys work so well together other than you're both very good coaches? <laughs> You know, I think it's one of those things where obviously as um, an assistant, she always allowed me to do everything I think a head coach did. You know, I was I was able to do so many different things. So I always felt like it wasn't, you know, people say, well, coaches have such big egos. And I don't think it was really that. I think I just always had the opportunity. So that piece of me, I always felt like I was getting a chance to do that. Everything, but I always say, but stand up on the sideline and, and during the games, you know. So, um, and I think that's the one thing that's great about working with Denise, you know, she definitely wants you to have the opportunity. She doesn't want to be the person making every single call. I mean, the final call, yes. Does it come down to the head coach and, you know, when they make the decision, but I felt like 
that was the one thing um, I always had a chance to do. And then you have success. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's the constant reminder when you, you, when you're in this business for as long as you are and you talk to other people, um, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, you know, and I, I think I just really took that to heart and realized, you know, my first job has got to be a right job for me. Like I'm not going to leave what I have as far as, you know, the success, the um, just the, you know, we're friends, you know, on and off the court, you know, the whole staff. So that part, like people don't have that everywhere. And I think we knew that. I think that's, we always knew it was pretty special. So we knew it was probably going to end at some point, not really knowing when it's kind of like the right opportunity. But I think um, we, we definitely, when you even talk to our staff, because even Michelle Baker and Stacy Weiss, you know, we had been together for quite a time. Stacy, since I started, Stacy was a player um, that, that's something we'll always look, reflect on and be like, that was pretty special. Cause we, we did have a lot of success in it. Um, you're not going to, you probably won't see that again in the same way. It's going to be different, but um, it was definitely special. So I definitely appreciate um, the opportunity that we had to work together that long. What is the biggest thing you learned from Denise Dillon? And is it a basket? Let me, I'll, let me rephrase the question. What is the biggest basketball thing you learned from Denise and the biggest thing you've just learned about coaching, dealing with kids thing you learned from her? I think the basketball, you know, we definitely had um, the relationship that she was more offensive, you know, minded and I was more defensive minded. So definitely I think the offensive piece of um, how to strategize and really take advantage of what the other team's not doing on defense, you know, and, and definitely I think that really helped me um, working with her to see those things. Cause I think we, you know, a lot of times we're on the same page with so many things, but I think the, the strategy on offensive end, I think is definitely something I'll take with me that she constantly, you know, obviously um, she was able to make those calls and call the right plays at the right time and, and understand the personnel she had to s- see those things happen on the court. And then I think from a, I always say from a, a personal standpoint, I think she just, she taught me that you really want to surround yourself with good people. I think that's like, I think she she did that constantly and she really put she really took care of the people, her staff, the people around her and made sure um, they knew that. And I think that's the one thing I'll take with me, like surround yourself with good people. And I think good things happen. So I think from a personal standpoint that and then just how she was. I think the biggest thing with managing players is she was always up front. I think she just you know, she's like, if you're going to come in here, if you're if you're willing to hear the truth then we're going to be all right. Like, if you can trust me, I'm going to be honest with you. And, and we always did the personal, you know, professional. So professionally, when we're, we're instructing you on, on the basketball end, you can't take it personally, you know, and then, but, we, but made such an effort on the personal side to get to know your players and really know each of them are differently different, but just really have a relationship with them. So they, so I think when you have a relationship with your players, they're going to want to know what you know. And I think that's one of the things she taught me from that standpoint too. You mentioned we talked about the year overseas and you mentioned how that's helped you with overseas recruiting and you guys really at Drexel throughout your time there, first assistant associate and now as head coach, have had a lot of really good players come from overseas. Even with the contacts, kind of knowing the terrain, I would imagine, and may correct me if I'm wrong, it is still a difficult needle to thread to get a kid from Eastern Europe to come play basketball in Philadelphia without getting too specific or how difficult is it? How much more work is it? How many more levels of things do you have to go through to, to land a kid to, to play for the dragons? 
It's definitely gotten harder, I think, because because of different um, avenues of whether it's internet, social media, that the international students now have more access to other schools. So before there was less schools you were competing with because it was, it was more work because you had to go over, you had to see these kids, you had to like um, see them live there. You had to kind of like get their information. You know, they don't play in their European championships to get seen for recruiting. They play in their European championships to represent their country. So if you go like my first experience going to a championship, I went, and watch teens play. And we got one of our best shooters of all time, a, a kid named Yasmina Roziel, and she was playing on the Belgium team. And I remember thinking, Oh, I like that kid. So then you have to find a contact in Luxembourg and be like, Hey, I'm trying to track down this kid from Belgium. She's around the same age. I don't know if she's any interested in playing the States. So you try to like go through all your sources to just find out the kid's interested in coming to the States. And she can't be too good. Cause she's too good. She'll play pro there. And, you know, so you have to kind of find the right level. So it's definitely more, it was more work but you also had less competition. So when it came down to it, not a lot of people knew about these kids. So that's changed now because there is now recruiting services for those, for international players. So the bigger schools have now come in and kind of, um, they have access to these players and videos. So someone came up with an idea to make money and they have recruiting service. And, um, you know, just to give these international players opportunities as well. So that's kind of changed the whole site, the international recruiting. It, it, I still think it comes down for me to the people, you know, like, so you'll talk to like one of our um, former players, Gabrielle Marginian, who's our all-time lean scorer. She um, really made her mark on our program and she's still playing professional, but she'd be someone who'd say, I have this Romanian, you know, who wants to come over. I still feel like that's our best thing. It's the people, the, the experiences they had, um, at Drexel and now just the word of mouth still for us, because I think it's, um, and that does take work because you really have to get to know and you're not always going to get to see them live. So you really have to, the people telling you and giving you information, you have to make sure, um, someone like Gabby, I totally trust, you know, she knows exactly what our program's about, what we're looking for, but it definitely, it started like in Luxembourg with my connections, you know, with the, with the, with the initial kids we had. And now it's definitely, um, it's changed a little bit, you know, we're bringing in our first Australian this year, which I'm really excited about. Um, that's kind of a new direction or area for us recruiting wise. So, and, um, you know, we have a Canadian on the team now, so that was our first Canadian. So we're kind of moving around. We've been moving around. We were in Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and now we're Australia and Canada. So we're keep, we're staying on the move a little bit with, with where our international students are coming from. How much does that just because, I mean, every team has diverse backgrounds, but to have a global roster at times with two, three, four kids from different parts of the world. How interesting is that? I mean, I'm sure there's a challenge just because of, you know, different way kids grow up and stuff like that. But to be around kids from different parts of the world, how interesting is it? It's That's what I love about it. I just think it brings that diversity, another culture to your team. It's just another learning experience for your um your players that maybe are from the area or like from the States. And it just makes them, I think really, I think it makes them more well-rounded. And even when we go on our, our tours, you know, it just makes them appreciate the things they have that maybe um, people from other countries don't have, but I love it. I just think it, it and it, you know, I always go back to um, Gina Buggy, who is the athletic director at um, Piscopal Academy. She always said, she goes, I'll never forget that. She goes, my grandma always told me if everyone was the same, life would be really boring. And I really feel like that's, true in the case of your players like you want them to be different you know you want them to have different experiences and different things they bring to the team it just makes it more um 
I just think the learning experience you get with that is, is something you can't really replace. So I definitely, I love that. I mean, I love the diversity of that. As someone who has been waist deep in women's basketball, how far has the sport come from your college days to now? And where would you like to see it come further? When I say women's basketball, I mean that all encompassing. I mean the college game, the pro game, because I feel like it had been steady progress. I feel like the last couple of years it has really accelerated. Uh, what do you think? I, I definitely agree. I think that, um, you know, when I look back on my career, I feel like it's like, and you look at how it's changed, you never would have thought what's happening now in the game would have happened, you know, 30 years ago when you started, you know, you were hoping to get a little more attendance at games and, and you see someone like Dawn Staley go to South Carolina and now they lead the, you know, the country in attendance in their games. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing to, to show when you put, um, time into it and you really do it the right way, the support is out there. And I, I think that the WNBA, like obviously as someone who's been in the game for as long as I have, I'm, so, I'm just happy that the league has continued to thrive and, you know, and they have a different message and maybe a different mission than the NBA in some ways and what they, how they do things, but it's still the game, you know, it's a game that's played and it's, it is different than the men's game, but it's, it's, it's unique in the sense to, it's changing and you see the athletes just getting um, doing more and more. So it's fun for me to see that and just see the change in it. And just the attendance in women's games, I think across the board, I think we're seeing more and more of that and just the opportunities for coaches um, to continue to do, you know, I got into coaching because to me it was the next best thing to play in basketball. I never thought it would be a, an actual opportunity for me to have a career that would hopefully I'll continue, you know, until I have to retire one day, I'll be able to do this and really enjoy what I do. And they always say, you know, it's not a job when you have a passion, when you, when you love what you do. And that, that was the one thing I think I always got from Denise is that when you, when you around the people you, you love and you enjoy it, there's definitely times it's tough. Like it's a, it's a tough business too. Cause you have to, the more you get, you know, there's, there's the more you get, the more people are going to expect from you in some ways. So you have to kind of, but that's part of why you coach, you know, I think that's, we're competitive. So if it wasn't competitive, then um, I think that's what keeps you going. I think that's what keeps you working and even working and wanting more. So, but it's been fun. It's been, it's great to see the game where it is. And just, it gets me excited for like my young student athletes you see now moving forward. You just want to continue to hope, teach them lessons and make them understand to how far things have come. I think that's, that's one thing I, I try to like, you know, that's when you sound old because you start telling your players, well, when I played and you're like, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't want to say that, but like, you know, just the things they have, you know, it's, it's like so much and okay, you guys deserve that, but understand like, you know, where you came from too, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that were before you that worked for you to have these opportunities. So let's always be grateful for what we have. And final question, as we're talking, it's middle of July, the world is really kind of upside down, but how excited are you for that first game as head coach whenever it's going to happen? I'm extremely excited. You know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, now I wake up having dreams about calling plays out or like, you know, like just things you think about now that um, you, you always get warned of, Hey, with this job is going to come more pressure, but it's like what you do anyway. Like even when you're coaching, you're always like um, any coach will probably say they, go to bed thinking about I should have ran this play or should have done this. So I think I still find myself doing that. So I know I'm going to be extremely excited for that 
first game, you know, whenever that does take place. But I, you know, it's it's one of those things where it is a dream come true for me, and I'm I'm just excited that you know Drexel gave me the opportunity to, to be their leader. That will do it for this episode of One on One. Want to thank Drexel University women's basketball coach Amy Mallon for being our guest this week. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. If you like the podcast, want to help us out. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and a review. My name is Matt Leon, and we will have another great conversation for you next week. Thanks for listening.